It's Shark Week and the Year of the Knockoff, so we decided to celebrate it by watching 1975's Jaws and 1977's Orca. It'll be a whale of a good time. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am uh, Captain Paul, and there's first mate Steve. I don't know. I don't know. See terms. Maybe you're Captain Steve. I don't know. I don't know things. I guess I'm Scuba Steve. Scuba that's, Steve, yes. And I, and, I am, and I am Seaman Stedman. That's what I am. No. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's Shark Week. Happy third day of Shark Week, I guess. I, Stephen Colbert did a whole thing of like doing like Shark Week, kind of like Hanukkah. I don't know if you saw the bit where no. he, bring, he brings out a shark <laughs> with like a candle and he's like celebrating Shark Week. So, um, I thought that was quite funny. Um, so, yeah, it's, since it is Shark Week, uh, we decided for our year of the knockoff that we would go and look at, you know, the film that pretty much started Shark Week. I feel like Shark Week would not exist without this film. Jaws the Revenge. Yeah, I was thinking Jaws 3D, but yeah, that, <laughs> the revenge where, you know, Jaws the Revenge has more in common with Orca than Orca has in common with Jaws. <laughs> if, let's let's be real. Um, it, but that one has Michael Caine in it, right? Like, isn't the quote that he said about it, he's like, I've not, he's like, I've never seen Jaws the Revenge, but I've seen the house that it bought and it's quite nice. Yeah. That's what he said. <laughs> he had Michael a run Caine. in the yeah. 80s where Michael Caine would just make anything. Yeah. I know he was in the swarm because it's like, it's a paycheck. And the yeah. director was like, I know he needs money you know so um yeah that's I me mean, that's why he's alfred in all the batman stuff now no i don't know uh, and that's christopher nolan and him it's like they they work together was isn't he wasn't michael Caine in dunkirk as well like i feel like he was i haven't seen dunkirk that, yet that feels very appropriate because it dealt with very british things so why yeah. wouldn't you have michael Caine there i i feel like uh his return to like serious serious acting i think was like starter house rules um like there was a period in the 90s where he like was like i'm done making garbage for money and now i want to make good stuff again yeah so so anyway this is not about michael kane this is not about jaws the revenge this is about <laughs> michael kane michael kane cast yeah um it is we're talking about 1975 with jaws and then we'll be looking at 1977's orca i cannot wait to talk about Orca. I just got to say that right now. I think Steve and I are going to be of different opinions of this film. Um, <laughs> I'm going to kind of ruin this by saying it's probably one of my one of my favorites that we've seen so far uh, of the knockoffs, and this includes the ones I've watched for the blog, too. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, let's just get into talking about Jaws. I know that you have a bigger uh, connection and an affinity for Jaws than I do. Uh, for goodness sake, she just named your dog. Your new dog, Bruce. So here's here's what I was gonna say to that yeah. though. I don't know if that's true necessarily oh. in the sense that like you could have named your dog Jaws, I guess. Well, no, my <laughs> no. I mean, we named our dog Quint because it has a <laughs> drinking problem. Our uh, my wife is the Jaws fan. Oh, okay. Um, I oddly enough, like of my friends, like I like Jaws, but I have friends who are like 
quote it, um, you know, like it's it's gospel. Like it's do they call themselves finheads. Yes. Please tell me, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm a real finhead. Like, like I enjoy Jaws, but it's not one of the ones that like um, say Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark or any of the movies that came out when I was a kid that I know like chapter and verse. It's it's I, I like it. I know it well enough, but it's not one that I often go to. Like I think once I watched it for the show, I hadn't seen it in probably two three years. Okay. Um, so while I do like it quite a bit, it's not one of the ones that's like, it wouldn't make my top 10. Like we had that discussion about aliens where I was like, Ooh, it's probably top 20. I don't know if it makes top 10. Mm -hmm. Jaws is definitely in that same category where it doesn't make top 10, but it's probably somewhere in the top 20. Okay. That's, that's fair. So I guess a little bit of groundwork here, just in case if nobody has seen the film Jaws before, uh, it is, uh, set on, uh, Amity Island. Uh, it is uh, the summer, close to the 4th of July weekend, and you have uh, Brody, who is, um, he is like the sheriff there, the main cop, right? Like one of two guys that are there. He's patrolling the town. Everybody keeps bothering him about all the small stuff. Like every small thing that could happen in a small town, they got to talk to him. Uh, I yeah. will say that I love, uh, within the first, like, you know, after we get past and actually i don't want to blow past it the the opening scene this oh that's yeah we should, the opening i guess the scene, opening scene involves someone getting attacked by a shark and dying and it's I, <laughs> that's the part i skipped whatever i, I got straight to the day-to-day being annoyed by <laughs> the townsfolk it's definitely one of the most iconic openings of any film mm-hmm. um and it got parodied to death after it came out um but uh, it's still one of those things where, like, it's emblazoned in, I think, people's brains as one of the great openings to, f- to any film. Yeah, um, it, it, it still really holds up. It's really effective. It's, it's uh, anytime you're from the killer's POV, mm-hmm. that's always like, because you can't control their actions, but you can't help but watch. Right. You know, so, yeah. And, I mean, even though, like, every time I watch it, even though I know what's going to happen, I'm still, like, entranced by it. Um, and I, I'm... I uh, surprise isn't the correct word, but I'm always, I guess, uh, on edge waiting for the shark to attack, even though I know when it's technically going to happen, I'm still like waiting for it to happen. It's, it's, it's a very like, uh, foreboding feeling that I get whenever I'm watching it because well, the John Williams music certainly helps that. Yeah. The, Cause I mean, and we'll talk more about this later because there is another famous composer that worked on the other film that I'm going to wait to talk about there. Uh, the just the intro with the the two notes the you know you know everybody knows the da na da na da and just and how it just moves on and that that's iconic now like you said it's been parodied so much that you even if you've never seen the film Jaws you know the music of Jaws and you know that's the sound of impending doom yeah you know and yeah and then the whole bit too whenever the girl the way she gets uh pulled and pulled like different directions and that rig work just. It's horrific how violent and sudden it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that you're right. That is very effective. Yeah, and I didn't want to blow by that. But uh, once we do get into uh, the next day after that attack happens and we meet uh, Sheriff Brody and we see his office, one of the things that is my favorite thing is he's working in his office and he's, like, typing up the report on what happened. And I believe he types probable shark attack. He just types in shark, but okay. he focuses on shark. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, his secretary comes in. 
And she gives him like the lamest thing that a cop would ever have to deal with. Because yeah. she's like, they're uh, complaining about the uh, kids from the karate school, the nine-year-olds. Going around a karate chopping people. It's just like, <laughs> but that's the movie I want to see is a small town with an outbreak of small karate children going around <laughs> just beating up the townsfolk. And you used to have one man and that Sheriff Brody or Chief Martin Brody between him and karate, all the karate kids. That's the sequel we didn't know that we wanted to the karate kid. It's like the aliens versus the alien. It's like, oh no, now there's more. Uh, but I just love the yeah. fact that it kind of paints this picture of like the things that he normally probably would have to deal with. Yeah. It's like that, and then everybody keeps bothering him, like, yeah, so-and-so, I don't know, their music's too loud. Or yeah. it's like, oh, that person's Parker where they shouldn't. Like, this, that's a whole thing, right? So he, he believes it's a shark attack, because they find the body and it's it's horrible and and I like how the one the, the one dude that like reports it basically is like like oh I don't know I think maybe she was like out swimming I I, just, I don't know I passed out on the beach <laughs> it was like, yeah you know like, you don't really feel remorse about this poor girl getting killed because no. you were gonna go out ski dipping with her but then you just passed out drunk on the beach and that's what happened but but yeah so so Brody who's from New York he's you know not a local. He he sees the like he knows it's a shark attack, but he goes to the the mayor who's like, yeah, couldn't you? It could be something else because by the way, it's Fourth of July weekend, and are basically he's saying that our community, the money it makes during the summer season, is what keeps the community running, and to shut down the beaches for the Fourth of July is a death sentence for the town, which that that is interesting to me because. It, it, I guess in the book, um, the the mayor had more more sinister motives to keep everything open. But this is a guy just trying to do his job and keep everybody happy and also protect, you know, his own in the sense like his, his town and his profitability and keeping the town successful. So I don't really view him as the true villain because he's also up against his own reasons for wanting this to have, like why the beaches have to be open. Yeah. My understanding from the book uh, and my wife can correct me if I'm wrong, but who are we kidding? She's not listening to this. Um, <laughs> but uh, she's too busy watching Jaws again. Yeah. So uh, my understanding is, is that in the book um, he's also like afraid of the mob because they use the town for laundering, laundering money, I believe, or there's some sort of activity that's going on. They're that's buying, they buy related. a lot of beachfront property that they make money off of. So yeah. to shut the beaches down would cause their money flow to dry up and then he'd have problems. Right. Um, but I will say that uh, one of my favorite things about Jaws is the spiffy jacket that the mayor is wearing. He doesn't wear it in just one scene. He no, wears no, it no, in a no. couple of different it, with scenes. With the anchors on it? Yeah. yeah. It's, pretty, it's, like, it's one of those things where it's like, that was tacky then, but it's kind of <laughs> awesome now. You know, like It's kind of come back around again where I'm like, I can see someone wearing that now, like yeah. unironically. You know? Right. Like, uh, so yeah, um, so there's the major conflict is that, you know, Brody believes something's going on and then he has the, like, basically the powers that be saying, yeah, well, even the medical examiner first said it was a shark attack. And then after the mayor talked to the medical examiner, he was like, oh, it was a boat against it, you know, like, <laughs> so then, um, and basically they believe this is not gonna be a problem but then another attack happens where a kid horrifically gets killed yeah like just red water like it is bad and so then the town freaks out rightfully so and they they offer three thousand dollars for anybody to go kill this shark and that's where we meet uh robert shaw's character quint yes scratching a chalkboard very frustratingly but then basically telling all you people like you know what you guys are going to just waste your time. Just give me $10,000. I'll go do it. And everyone's like, go away, you drunk. And he's like, basically like, <laughs> you'll learn. It just waters away, right? So I, the part I forgot about the movie 
was how basically all the townsfolk and then other other parts unknown people just start showing up with boats and throwing raw meat in the water hoping to attract anything just to catch a shark to get three thousand dollars i forgot about that kind of this is a new england coastal town but it felt very much like a southern town being like, "Woo boy, we're going to catch ourselves a shark. And they just go start chumming up the waters and they wonder why bad things happen. I do love the fact that it's like as soon as there's money involved, it's like every village idiot shows up to be like, I'm going to catch me a shark. Yeah. And well, then there's even that one where there's the bit on the, the, the uh, dock where they throw like the hook out with the meat. And then it's like it was his wife's roast. roast. The guy's like, yeah, it was a good roast. And then <laughs> and then like the shark pulls the dock into the water. And it's like, what did you think was going to happen here? Um, well, there's also, yeah. um, you know. Uh, the one guy's uh, like he stops them, but like they were like, oh, we got dynamite. Like they were like, what were you gonna do? Light it and throw it in its mouth? Which I guess oddly comes back to the ending. But like, well, they you know that Paul Hogan was with them. It's like that's what you do when you go fishing. You just throw dynamite in the water and hope for the best. But like, so I watching this again for the first time in like a long time and realizing this was like Spielberg's third film, and then knowing that he was. Well, I, I wrote down the, how old he was when he made this movie. I believe he was 28. Sick. Yeah, it's just like, what did I do with my life? Um, yeah, he was 26 at the time when he directed the movie. God damn it. You know, like, just whatever, right? <sighs> uh, and he he had, he's a guy that, you know, everything we talk about this movie, you're, you, I'm sure everybody else has talked about this history and everything, but just to establish, Spielberg wanted to get into directing films. He kind of started faking a job on a back lot and, and he started, just kept working until people were like, yeah, he's good. And then, no one realized that he actually wasn't hired by the company and he kind of worked himself in to directing some television. And then he ended up getting the ability to do a TV movie, which was the Richard Matheson script for duel, which is a Richard Matheson story. You know, Dennis Weaver, good, really, really good TV movie where it's this guy being stalked by an unknown driver in this really gnarly looking truck. Uh, and that launched him into doing another film before this one called Sugarland express or something. I've not seen it. Um, but based on like that and uh, the producers like kind of talking to him and they also had somebody else in mind for this project, he kind of convinced them that he could do it. 26 and be like, yeah, mechanical sharks. This is fine. I got it. Think about that. Like basically, you know, he, he tricked everybody into hiring him and made one TV movie that everybody liked a lot. And then he's like, ah, yeah, that's $3 million. I can make this work 55 days. Not a problem. It ended up costing nine million overall and taking a hundred some hundred and fifty some days to film. Yeah, like this. The, by all intents and purposes, this thing should not have even been finished. You know. Yeah. So, and we talk about this movie now. But anyway, I was going to say, talk about the the efficiency of the story. And I know Steve stopped me to talk about the young girl getting killed in the beginning, which is important. Within fifteen minutes of the film, you you got the conflict of the hero of Brody trying to do what's best and really ultimately protect everybody by doing the sensible thing, which is if there's a shark in the water that can't come on land, then don't go in the water. But then there's the conflict of the town saying we like money and what are you going to do? So within 15 minutes, like everything you need to know about the film is right there in front of you. And, and, and I, res- I appreciate that. It doesn't like, there's one thing to have a simple story, but it's another thing to efficiently lay all the pieces out pretty much in place. And you're already off to the races. Well, you know, before we started recording, we started having a discussion about uh, whether or not people consider Jaws to be horror or not. Um, and I brought up the fact that a lot of people refer to it as aquatic horror. Um, and I'm one of the people who is in the camp that I believe it's a horror film. But um, 
thinking about Jaws structurally um, and the points that you just made about like how the townsfolk interact with Chief Brody, um, if you want a comparison, I would say look at that and Halloween. Um, Chief Brody is essentially um, Donald Pleasant's character in Halloween, um, and the shark is essentially Michael Myers. They both have black dead eyes. Yeah, <laughs> that's true too. Yeah. But I mean, like you know, um, and the shark was wearing a William Shatner mask the entire time. <laughs> no, I mean, the whole movie is about uh, you know um, Brody trying to get. Well, A, like, he's being confronted at every turn by people who are, like, either don't believe him, but then when they do believe him are, like, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. Like, there was the the one lady that comes up and, like, because her son was the one that got eaten. There's a second victim because, like, uh, Brody was sitting on the beach. Kind of, You could tell that he was uneasy the entire time. And there's that uh, very famous shot where it, um, it, it pushes in on him, but also it's, it's, the, what, it's the reverse vertigo shot where... There, he's really far in the like everything. The background's there, and he's in the center of the frame. But somehow the camera's able to make him the complete center of the frame, while the rest of the world's pushed to the sides. Like it's this very, very sudden effect that happens. Um, and he's watching the shark. Basically, the like it like the explosion of blood and guts that happen from this kid getting attacked is sudden and horrific. And all he could do is sit there and watch it happen. Yeah. And then everybody runs away because they're terrified because there's a shark that everybody knew about. And then the mom comes up to him later and was like, "I, you knew that this was out there," and blames him, not the mayor, not everybody else. She blames him because he knew about it and didn't didn't do anything about it to her knowledge. Which is exactly what happens with Dr. Loomis in Halloween, where like he shows back up on Hatfield after Michael escapes, and everybody's like, what makes you think he's coming here? And like, you know, why do you think that, you know, we're going to have to deal with him? And then once Michael starts killing people, even the sheriff's like, you let him out. And he's like, I didn't let him out. He escaped. And I've been trying to convince you, like, for the last day and a half that, like, he's a danger. So I just... Yeah. If you were to compare them structurally, I think Jaws and Halloween have a lot in common, and I think that's one of the reasons why it works so well as both a thriller and a horror film. Um, but going back to Brody as a character, you know, he's also got this built-in tick where he's not from there, so everyone also looks at him as being this sort of outsider, yeah, um, because he's not one of the islanders. And he and they, there's a little brief story beat talking about when he mentions like the amount of crime that happens in Amity about how there's nothing yeah. versus the city where like he was, you know, I believe New York city is what they talk about where he's supposed to be from. You have to say it like this though. New York city. Yeah. Like the big town, you know, but, uh, uh, so he, you could tell that he kind of just, they never say truly what caused him to want to walk away from that, but it doesn't take much to fill in the blanks that he was just tired of there constantly being some type of violence or a crime that, like there's that pressure of always trying to solve something when you could just go to a small little island town that nothing ever happens on, and it's way easier to be the sheriff there and deal with all the small nuisances of the kids karate chopping stuff, yeah, or people parking where they shouldn't, you know, versus like this. And so, you know, he he's kind of you can kind of he knows when there's an emergency and he knows what to do, and it's it's the like he's not crying wolf. It's just that everyone else is dismissive because you're right, he's not from around there. And it's just, I, I, that, that part to me is interesting. Cause it's like, it's the, the movie is horrific and things happen, but it's all easily avoidable if people would just listen to each other and mm-hmm. be realistic about the situation. 
Um, and even the point whenever like, so the, the, the yokels all go out and they find a shark and they kill it. And they're like, that has to be the one after. And then we meet Hooper, uh, which is, uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character, which is, he's basically standing for Steven Spielberg. I found out <laughs> he's yeah. basically, he's the surrogate for Spielberg. Well, I guess also yeah. this is another yeah. tidbit from the book. I, I guess he was having an affair with Brody's wife in the book as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far that goes in the book. Um, but it's a subplot that's dropped from the film. Rightfully. So we do, I feel like Spielberg was more worried when you finally got the three main characters on the boat and then towards the end of the film, he didn't need the tension of one of them sleeping with the other man's wife. Like they're already out, you know, with, and we, Quint, Quint is, uh, you know, he's Ahab, you know, he's crazy man, but he has his reasons and his ways. You have Brody who is terrified of the water pretty much, which they established that too, which is funny that he's the sheriff on an Island. And he, I like the statement of like, well, you know, when you're on land, it's not an Island or whatever. He says yeah. something like that, something he's drunk and, and, and uh, Hooper's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then you got Hooper who he's, you, he's almost a trust fund kid. You get the idea yeah. that like he comes from money and is interested in sharks because he has the money to keep going. So he's an authority because he, he that's all he's done. Not that I'm saying he's not smart about it, but it's like, he's kind of bought his way into this point, you know? So you got these three different walks of life altogether. You don't necessarily need a subplot of adultery. In no, the middle. And, no. And I, I think that was a smart move. I just move. thought it was, yeah. yeah, I thought it was an interesting point of something that I would have never even thought would have been in the movie in the first place. And when my wife mentioned that, I was like, Oh, I'm like it, it doesn't even you, we certainly, it's not like a subplot that you would miss or something that like, because sometimes when you see adaptations, you're like, Oh, they left this out. And I don't know why, because it would have worked better. <laughs> this is clearly one of those cases where like, it was a smart move to leave it there, out. There's a lot of, um, uh, reduction that makes the final product stronger. And I, and, yeah. and Spielberg was on record saying he told the producers, he's like, yeah, I really want to change acts one and two, but then stick really close to act three. And they're like, well, okay. Like it was one of those things where <laughs> Spielberg, even then at the time cat had his finger on what he felt worked best, which is you know, when we get to it is that, you know, there's the 4th of July bit. Well, we'll get, so Hooper is the one that's like, educating Brody about like the true danger of what's out there. Like yeah. Brody knows it's a shark. He doesn't know that this is kind of an extraordinary situation. And Hooper's kind of hinting at like, yeah, the shark they caught, its jaws are not big enough. Like, this thing's bigger. It's out there. It's still out there. Yeah, its bite radius is not big enough yeah, for the and then, wounds that he looked at. And then there's the sequence where they actually cut open the gut of that other shark. And that is, you don't actually see the cut, but it's so disgusting because he's like, you got Richard Dreyfus in the foreground with this knife in the shark, and you can't see it in there but there's the white liquid of the stomach just yeah. dripping and going behind him towards uh, Rob, um, Rob Schneider. Uh, I was going to say uh, Roy, Roy Schneider, Schneider, not Rob Schneider. <laughs> towards Rob Schneider. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Roy Schneider. Uh, and it was like, that was disgusting, but also like effective. Like it yeah. was the, the, in your mind, you didn't see that part of it, but then you saw him chucking license plates out of this thing or whatever. And it's like, did it eat a car? He's like, no, it's, but just a license plate. Yeah, I think he said that uh, sharks are basically the garbage cans of the sea. <laughs> yeah, poor garbage. Poor, poor garbage cans. Of it. Poor sharks. <laughs> but I do wonder, like, at what point does that, like, does he just throw that up at some point? Because it's like, you can't digest metal, uh, yeah, I, don't I don't think. Know. Um, and he's certainly not going to expel something that large. <laughs> right. So, and considering that sharks are like 95% liver. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever, like, did you do that in high school where you dissected a shark? 
No. Um, what fancy school did you go to? I didn't go to a fancy school. I went to a school in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia. So I mean, the only thing we ever dissected was worms and frogs. Really? Like, yeah. Oh, we had um, we had a feudal pig that we had to dissect, no. which was disgusting. We did we did the worms. We did uh, a frog, but then we also did a t- like a little tiny. Um, it was a what kind of shark was it? I forget, but it was basically they they found they got a bunch of them like in like before they were born, so they were still smaller. And you just open them up, and they're this like it's just liver. It's just a bunch of liver inside this thing. Wow! And they use a lot of that for buoyancy um, okay. because they don't have a swim bladder. Because yeah, shark, sharks I, don't float like fish; they can't control their um, upwards and downwards elevations. They have to constantly swim and move forward. Okay. Um, because that's the only way they get air going through their gills, or so not air, but water. They can't just sit still, um, but they can find like currents and kind of hang out. Like so, that's why they'll kind of sit where the water's like more moving, more so towards the bottom. Oh, so they they or they'll sometimes go to the top of the water and then slowly drift down, so water will still go through their their gills, and they'll take like kind of like shark naps. Anyway, these are all things. These are your shark facts. So this is stuff that you didn't know. Hashtag shark facts. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we dissected a shark. It's all liver, so I don't know what's inside a shark. <laughs> I should have found. I wish I found a really little tiny license plate though. What did we dissect? <laughs> so anyway, um. But yeah, so then the movie, once you get to the 4th of July issue where everybody, like the mayor has the, the you know, the beach is open and it's funny, there, there's a nice telling scene there where the mayor's walking around being like, hey, why aren't you in the water? He's like, ah, you know, I just put sunscreen on and I think I ate something, so I got to stay out for 40 minutes. He doesn't say that. But he's like, just go in the water. Like he's trying to get the town smoke and they're all, they all kind of believe still. And my, my whole thing though is, is like, why does he go out? Yeah. Like, and you know, lead by example, like oh yeah, take off the uh, anchor coat and uh, you know throw on some swim trunks and go out. Yeah, and he doesn't do it, but then he ends up telling um, Brody, he's like, my kids are out there too. It's like, well, good. I'm glad you're concerned about it now. You know, <laughs> but then the shark, you know, clearly it, it, it sees what's happening on the beach and was like, no, I'm gonna go over the shallow area and attack the kids. I don't, that's I don't know what that shark was doing, but whatever. It, it saw it saw where the easy eats were and went after that first. Um. So then that's what prompts the, like the, the last third of the movie, which yeah. is, you know, the damage is done. The town is in, in shock and in horror, right? Um, and so then they decide that we're going to just go ahead and pay Quinn his money and we're going to go do this. And though Quinn wants to go by himself, Brody's like, I'm coming with you to see this thing through because now it's a personal thing. Uh, this time it's personal. Yeah, because I mean, it really was because his son was one of the ones that potentially could have been hurt, right? Yeah. And then Hooper's just, uh, you know, he... He has more scientific knowledge than the both of them, so he, has, you know, it's it's best to have him along. And then the movie just changes gears completely, so it doesn't go from a we got to do what's best for everybody. It's more like if we don't kill this thing now, none of us are ever going to feel safe again. And and he does have, a, and it's almost like he owes a debt to that mother that slapped him because he did let that happen. You know, so I would argue that he didn't let it happen. But you you know what I mean? I know though. what you mean. Like, yeah. just, he feels guilt for that. So. I, I forget how how much the movie does it. The first part of it plays a little lighthearted. The music's a little bit more adventurous. Uh, I guess John Williams said that part of it was kind of almost like a pirate score, like mm-hmm. kind of like this is kind of a fun adventure. And um, and Spielberg brought in a friend, of, like someone he knew, to kind of punch up the script, add more humor because he just wanted to be a dark, <laughs> dark shark hunt film. And so the movie tonally, you know, you are smiling and laughing along with things and then, then you're not, you know, and that's, um, it, it's very effective. Like you mentioned Halloween and these other films that have kind of, 
stuff that has existed past past this, and I, I forget when, when did Halloween come out. Halloween was seventy eight because this is the fortieth. Okay, so you know, little after this, but I don't think Carpenter had jaws in mind when he made halloween no i was just saying that like whether it's intentional or not if you look at them structurally they're very similar at least with a lot of their character beats yeah you know, and if you and think of jaws as a slasher it, it works really well well and then the, the whole notion too of like uh, removing safety from places that are commonly known as welcoming places like the beach or i don't know your home you know yeah. <laughs> like those things right so although if you're orca He'll come to your home too. Yeah, yeah watch out. We'll, we'll talk get about to that, that. later. Oh, amazing talk. We're going to have an amazing talk about Orca. Um, it's it just there's so much that's happened since this where you got to have the ups and downs. Like uh, there's you talk about the Friday the 13th series. You you have to have a few moments of humor in there, or else the whole thing is just dreary and not worth it. You know, yeah. and, and as we learn from the burning, you could easily steer that way and have no joy in a film whatsoever. And still have a high body count and have some people die. Yeah. Um, and I think a tenement, like a tenant of Spielberg, though, is he always ends up finding the human side of things and makes you and like really relate with the characters. This could have this movie ultimately is is very I don't want to say thinly drawn because Quint is an interesting character and we'll get to more about him in a second. Brody, you, his motivations are established. He's a good guy, wants to do right. And you you believe him and and Hooper's a good guy too, but he's kind of a like a rich college kid. You 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 know these people, and then Quint, you just think he's that sour asshole that he does know how to hunt sharks. But then you get his speech when he's on the boat, which I you know was never part of the book, uh, was never part of the script originally. And then someone suggests it, and I guess there's some debate about who ultimately came up with the the USS Indianapolis connection. Mm-hmm. But that speech is I think. Robert Shaw's performance right there in that speech is what cements that movie. Like it's just something about that quiet moment of him telling that story. And there's not a single bit of special effects going on. It's just a man on a boat talking about something even more horrific than anything that's been shown in this movie. And then anything that you'll see that's so effective. So, you know, and I will say that, uh, and I, I guess it's not the second half of the film. I always think of, the point where the three of them are on the boat as being the second half of the film. I guess it's more like the last third. Um, but, you know, what makes that work is is that, uh, um, you know, and we can talk about the way that uh, they use the barrels to show the sharks moving as opposed to actually showing the shark or yeah. um, all the time that um, Spielberg spent like making sure that land couldn't be seen because he didn't want people to think that these guys could get away. Um, all that stuff does build in the tension, but what makes those scenes work is is those three actors. Yeah. Um, it's it, granted, it's very well done dialogue, um, but the way it's acted, it, it it's it's rare because it's it's literally just it's if it was a play it'd be three guys sitting on a stage talking um and even and i I know that i'm i'm kind of going off topic here with this but like if you look at uh kevin smith's chasing amy you know he wanted to emulate the scene where they compare scars um in chasing amy Hmm. um it's been forever since i've seen that so yeah i mean there's a scene at the after they uh go to the meow mix uh which is the bar um they're uh sitting down and uh brody and Alyssa have this entire yeah 
I'm sorry, uh, Banky. Banky. <laughs> but there's a Brody. Yeah. Is it a Brody and Mallrats? Brody's and Mallrats. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Same by the played by the same actor. But they have this whole <laughs> conversation about you know uh, scars that have incurred they've incurred during sexual acts, um, and he sort of duplicated that. But if you go back to Jaws and watch that scene, like it works just because of those three actors playing off of each other's dynamics. Um, and I guess some of the tension between Dreyfus and Robert Shaw was real <laughs> because yeah. they did not like each other. I guess. Robert Shaw um, was reportedly kind of drunk. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the quotes that I read while doing research was is that, uh, I almost called him Rob Schneider, Roy Scheider um, said that like if he hadn't had a drink, he was real pleasant, but as soon as he had a like one, one in drink, him... He became a super competitive asshole. Yeah, yeah, and that really fueled the tension between him and Richard Dreyfus for some reason. Um but it works wonderfully in the movie because those characters typically wouldn't get along. It makes me wonder how, like, some of the, the, the ways Dreyfus would look at him. I just wonder if some of that was like, oh, no, no, just go with that, as opposed to, all right, I'm getting done with this guy while we're filming, and this is the way the take's going to end. And I'd love some of that. There's a bit where he's on the outside of the boat climbing up the, like, outside. You see through the window, and he's just making faces at him the yeah. entire time. Like, I like that. Uh, but credit to Robert Shaw though. There's there's the bit when they're on the boat and he has the 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 whatever the big the big fishing uh, rod and he's just kind of quietly watching the water and all of a sudden you see the the wire the line get tense and he's not trying to alarm. He's slowly strapping in, slowly getting in position, and then just looks at uh, Brody and was like, "Get me." get a, uh, you know, a pan of water ready or whatever to pour on the reel whenever this thing starts pulling in, you know, like it's just like, he was just like, now it's go time, but I don't need to start a panic. There was right. something really, really like awesome about this. Cause he's like, we're, this is about to get real. I'm going to get ready. I thought that and I never noticed that before. I like that quiet. Like that's the last real quiet moment before pretty much like everything. I mean, them talking in the boat at nighttime that kicks off like the last true action yeah. set piece, but the movie doesn't really let up. And like after the point of him starting to see that they've caught it, you know, like really good scene and Spielberg too. credit to him. You know, he's going to make good movies one day. I don't like, I, I made the joke when I was watching this, I was like that's Stevie Spielberg. He's going to do good things. And like, you know, Jaws is like his third movie and how many movies he's made since then. They're like probably all way more technically proficient. Was there a Jaws reference in Ready Player One? I have no idea. Probably. I, d side note, I was listening to the radio on the way home today and uh, two things. One, um, I was in traffic for an hour and Steve asked me a couple episodes ago, episodes ago if being stuck in traffic makes me angry. And I was like, no, not really. I take, I take that back. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, but then I was listening to the radio and this one guy said something about pop culture. He was, it was sports talk. So I didn't expect this take. And he's like, yeah, I just recently just saw Ready Player One. And, uh, you know, I didn't like it because it's just, it's just a shell of what the book was. And I want to be like, I've never had the urge to call into a sports talk station and have a differing opinion and be like, excuse me, sir. I know you're talking about the Browns and I have no point of reference for that, but you could go straight to hell for you're talking about ready player one being the movie being worse than the book. <laughs> like I just like, like saying the book is amazing. I'm like, and I'll just be like, and I'll hang up listens for your action. And like, that's all he's like, so anyway, I have no idea if there, I, there may have been, I, there, there's a Jaws reference in back to the future too. I know that. Yes. There know, is. Yeah. So, um, no, but Spielberg, there, he, there's a clarity as much as there, it's been talked about over and over again. And we, we can go into it here, but we all know that the sharks didn't work the way that he wanted them to work. So a lot of what we view now as 
masterful storytelling was they didn't have the ability to show what they wanted to show. And in hindsight, it works beautifully at the time. This is a 26 year old that's all way over budget and going way past the days and having a drunk Robert Shaw that may or may not be here or in Canada avoiding tax issues. Like, you know, what do you do? Well, we got to show barrels in the water. We got to show something, right? That all like that all works well, but there's a bit towards the end whenever the boat is in various series of capsizing and sinking that you never once lose the narrative of the action. And that could be very easy, even though it's a small boat and three people, it, you, it, everything's consistent. And it's, it's really amazing to me uh, to see how consistent everything goes from point to point to point and you can follow everything. And that's, I wouldn't even know how to do that. You know, how I even began. And here's the guy who's like, yep, this is how this is going to work. And, and, and I know with editing and his editor, I forget their name right now. They, they probably are the, the true MVP of the whole thing. It, it just flows wonderfully. Yeah. I mean, it, there's certainly a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word? A lot of wealth that can be spread around with that movie from the acting to, and I mean, all the credit that goes to Steven Spielberg obviously is very, you know, deserved, but like from the actor's performances to the editing, the soundtrack, like all that stuff comes together and creates that experience. Um, and I think particularly like as you're ramping up towards that end, you know, there's sort of a, um, out ramp up, I guess is the best way of putting it, you know, um, Brody smashes the um, the CB. Oh no! Uh, um, I'm sorry, Quint. Does. Quint. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, uh, Brody goes to make the call. Oh, yeah, you know, and that sort of kicks tension into gear. And then, <laughs> and then he, when they're dragging the shark to drown it, because that's what's that's another thing too. If you drag a shark backwards long enough, it can't breathe because the the water doesn't go through the gills the right way, so it can drown in the water. They're trying to asphyxiate it basically yeah. at the time. And he's just running that boat, like smokes is churning. And he's just like, I got it, boys. And Hooper's like, you need to slow down. He's like, ha ha. And just keeps driving. Like, like, what is wrong with you? You know, like, <laughs> like your little ship is on fire and you just don't seem to care. You know, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> he just, he, it was like, he took it personal and it took it to another level that neither Hooper nor Brody understood. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, to Hooper going into the water, like I, I, yeah, I still like. There's no way I would ever do that. Like, no. my wife wants to go like somewhere and like swim with sharks. I'm like, no. I I would go pet stingrays. Like when they go swimming by, yeah. I'd be like, oh, I touched. It's like it's like touching a wall a wall underwater. It's fine. <laughs> um, look at that. It's pretty cool. I would do that. No. Um. So, um, the the reason why I think this endures, other than the fact that it is a very effective well-done, scary movie about a, an irrational fear that most of us have because we don't live near the ocean. Some, a lot of people do. I don't. Um, I'm not worried about sharks in Lake Erie. If there are, then we have bigger problems to worry about, I think. That, that means all sorts of things are going wrong. Um, so this, the reason I think a lot of this comes back to is because the delay in the filming actually caused this film to be released during the summer and not in the winter like it was intended. And, and it was also at the time a big deal of having like TV ads run like two days before and they did a big press tour and they opened it up in like 450 theaters, which was unheard of at the time. Like it's one of these things where it, they knew that, that they wanted this movie to hit big, but they didn't know that they were setting up basically what we now know as like a tentpole film for the summer. Yeah. Like this is the first, they it was say the first, the first summer blockbuster. blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and it was kind of by accident. Like, I mean, this execution of it was not, but by virtue of, because at the time the thought process was movies don't play well in the summer because everybody's outside. And this one turned out to be the thing to show that maybe going inside is fine. I know now with air conditioning the way it is, people prefer to be in the theaters during the summer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it kind of set the stage for that. Uh, and it just, and moving forward, a lot of studios started seeing that if you put in a certain amount of money, there's almost a guarantee of getting that back and then some, at least make double and then some. Because this movie made its budget back in two weeks, mm-hmm. which was unheard of. It was the most, it was the highest grossing movie at the time until Star Wars came out. Yeah. So I, yeah. Well, you know, I, and I guess I just want to finish my thought from earlier. Just the the ramping up of the the, the climax of the film um, from the point where, you know, uh, I mentioned, you know, he takes out the radio, yeah. Hooper goes in the water, um, and then you know when the the shark actually starts eating the boat, <laughs> and then Robert Shaw, yeah, and like it all starts going to hell. Like it keeps escalating and es- escalating, escalating. And it comes to that point where it's like everything almost stops for Brody to take that shot. Um, yeah, it's it's really kind of like this sort of, and it yes, it's a life or death moment for the character, but it really does. It almost like the movie like just stops um, all of its momentum just for that one shot, and then boom, it explodes. And you know the end of the movie is him and Hooper trying to like paddle paddle their way back home, <laughs> and it ends on kind of a joke of the, those two like paddling home. Yeah, and um, Hooper's like, oh, you don't like, I didn't think you liked water or something yeah. to that effect. He's like, oh, I wonder why. <laughs> um, and I think it's one of the better climaxes of that type of film. Um, yeah. And I think that if there's a lesson to be learned from, from Jaws is, you know, um, it's certainly that uh, the less is more. And again, that goes back to also that slasher idea of sometimes the less is more. Um, I know some people are of the mind of more is more, and I do like that sometimes too. But um, well, if you like more is more, then we got a film we're talking about next. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, just that building of tension and the release at the very end is just wonderful, and I think it's one of the better climaxes of a film um, that I can think of of that era. Well, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like you're right. It just keeps twisting and twisting and twisting in the last half hour. And it gets to this point to where something implausible happens, which we now know is physically not ever possible to happen. But in this instance, fine. You know, he takes a shot, he saves the day, the shark explodes, you cheer because you you're behind him. And then you find out Hooper's alive and you're happy about that too. Like there's, and then the movie's like, Oh, one, like a joke. And then, then there's credits. Like, that's it. Like you don't need, another 15 minutes of him going home and, and basically telling the mayor, well, here you go. We're right now. And then yeah. visiting quits grave later, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, like he's pouring out a beer can. Yeah. Like we don't need, you know, we don't. And I feel like some movies would almost revel and like, you'd still want to show like the aftermath and it's like, and you don't, that's it. Like there was a large shark. No one believed them. They kept showing up until people finally believed them, and they went out and had to take care of it. That's your movie, you know. Like, well, excuse me. It, it now that I think about it, it's actually almost very similar to, and again, this is something that would come after it. But we just watched Aliens in the theater at the Capitol last weekend. If you look at that ending, um, it's almost very similar. Where it comes down to her and the alien fighting. She's in the power loader. She wins, and then 
That's it. We get the scene. I mean, yeah, I'd even argue then, the end of Alien is even more closer to Jaws because of the final, like, you know, she, you think you're safe. It's still there. And then she has that quiet showdown in the yeah. sense of, like, it's a, it's a standoff. And then she gets it out the airlock, and that's the end of the movie, which I guess I was reading in here that after Jaws came out, everything wanted to be Jaws. And the original pitch to Fox for Alien, which I know at the time was called Star Beast, was it's Jaws, but in space. That was how it was pitched, and everyone's like, "Okay, we could do a space shark. That's cool, you know." So that your, makes sense. Your point to that yeah. makes a lot of sense, you know. So um, Jaws's effects and Jaws's effects, the effects of Jaws, can still be felt now. Like it's going to reverberate, right? And and it's it's one of these things. That just this goes back to our talk last week about Mission Impossible and how when we learn that a majority of those films are just like. We have ideas for action, but we don't have a story to run through all of this and how those movies all seem fairly tightly put together. And then you watch Jaws and you find out that all the mechanical problems you know, behind the scenes and then how scenes were being written the night before, like dialogue was being written the night before. None of this should equal a good movie, but it's considered one of the best films ever made. Yeah. And, um, and that just also shows you that perseverance and opti- optimism, not optimism, but um, perseverance and uh, you have no other options. <laughs> like, like you have to finish this thing. Like you just keep moving forward much like a shark. If you stop moving, you're going to die, you know? So I respect that Spielberg pretty much thought he was done with Hollywood when this movie was over. I guess I was reading that the, the one of the last scenes they shot, he wasn't there for the shark exploding. Because he was worried that the crew would throw him overboard after they were done filming with the last shot, so that just kind of—he thought he made the worst thing ever and thought he was screwed up so bad. And then it's all put together and it does well. And then he's mad that he's not nominated for best director that year. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious. I don't think we've ever had this discussion, and we can move on to yeah. it's knockoff right after. Yes. But uh, just speaking of Spielberg, I don't know if we've ever discussed what is your. And we don't have to discuss the actual film, but what is your favorite Spielberg film? It's tough. You know, because I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have a Spielberg talk in December, and we'll we'll I'll save that for when we get there. I don't want to ruin that knockoff. Uh, the man, I don't know. Like, there's, I mean, Jurassic Park's great, right? But it's like, but then I also think about the first time I saw Saving Private Ryan. The first like twenty minutes of that movie had me in tears, and I couldn't even like that whole initial invasion, mm-hmm. the D Day invasion, just. That was its own movie, and it wrecked me watching it in the screen. Like, because that was the closest thing I'd seen at that time to like depiction of actual warfare. And there's a bit where, like, what was it? Hanks's character is like talking to the guy to like to his right or left, and he goes over to talk to him again. That guy's head's like has a hole in it, and he's dead already. And it's like, what just happened? You know, like that that got me. Um, but he's like, he's made so much good stuff, though. I don't know yeah. what your favorite Spielberg is. I mean, oh, Munich is amazing too. By the way, if you've not seen Munich, Munich's awesome. Yeah, um, I mean, I wish I could say that I had like a really serious. I could say Schindler's List, but I'd be lying. I mean, for me, it's it's Raiders. Uh, you, like, okay. uh, of course, I blank on um, the Indiana Jones films. Yeah, <laughs> well, was, like, I don't know what. Like, I know that's his film, but I don't. And it is his film, right? But I always, I always think of him and Lucas kind of together on that. I don't know yeah. why. But yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark's amazing. Like that's yeah. I mean, talk about like just A to B just fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um I was just curious before we moved on. I was gonna say just... Ready Player One, but I know that would be no. <laughs> well, it, it is interesting that uh, you know, his 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 career, he's done so many different things, he's never been really pigeonholed. Um 
And uh, like sometimes there are things that he's done that I don't particularly work out. Like, um, you know, his um, Kubrick uh, film. Oh, AI. AI. I, yeah, yeah, um, you know, I feel like if I have a negative take on that, then people like tell me I'm not thinking about it like in the right way. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, no. I just didn't like it. <laughs> like It's, it's still, visually, it's visually like amazing. The, the but middle like, third of that movie is a good movie. Yeah. The beginning and the end. I don't know how I feel about it. It, it could have about 40 minutes cut out like, of it. I want a gigolo Joe film with yeah. just uh, uh, Jude law. I really do. Cause there's a whole, like not to get into that, but there's a whole bit where he's being picked up by the robot police or whatever. And he just says, I am. Yeah, I was. And it's like, that's a really cool moment. Like, yeah. So but, I'm. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Minority Port Report and War of the Worlds are movies that I enjoyed, but I felt like they went the happy ending route where I felt like they should have gone another way. Yeah. Um, still doesn't take away from them being well done films, but the, the first three fourths of War of the Worlds is really really good. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um. So. At the same time, you know, I still haven't seen Tintin. I've heard Tintin's really well done. Um, the BFG I heard is really good too. I mean, just for what it is, you know. Yeah. Like, but like, let's let you know, let's just take a quick look because I know we're forgetting about everything he's made. Well, um, I mean, I mentioned like Schindler's List. There's also The Color Purple, um, E.T. Obviously, uh, yeah, featuring uh, your favorite candy. Yeah. <laughs> Side note. Um, uh, we, uh, my wife went to Dairy Queen uh, and bought a Blizzard, and she's like, "Oh, I got you Reese pieces." I'm like, "Why did you do that?" She's like, well, "They didn't have Reese cups." I'm like, "But it's Reese." I was like, "That's that's trash candy," and she's like, "I thought you liked it." I'm like, "I've been very clear," um, and th- it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. It was still a Blizzard. So we got uh, we got let's see here, we got Duel, which is amazing. Uh, Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I don't think I've seen as an adult. I need to see that again. Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., A Segment of Twilight Zone, the movie, Temple of Doom, uh, uh, Color Purple, like you said, um, Last Crusade, um, Jurassic Park. I, I don't think I've ever seen Hook. I feel like that's maybe I saw Hook in the theater. Uh, Schindler's List, uh, Lost World, Amistad, which I know was I haven't seen but was also out there for awards talk, Saving Private Ryan, A.I., Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, which is a really, really, that's a really, really, really good, good movie. movie. I always forget that's a hit, that's yeah. his movie, though. That's a, just, that movie just clicks. It's so good. Um, the Terminal I've not seen. War of the Worlds was, was had good moments. Terminal's Munich. fun. I don't know yeah. that it's a rewatchable movie, but it's fun. Uh, Munich is amazing. It's depressing. Uh, Crystal Skull, we'll move on from that. Uh, Tintin, which I've not seen. War Horse, I heard, is supposed to be pretty good. Lincoln's supposed to be pretty good. Bridge of Spies, I heard, is really good. Uh, BFG, haven't seen it. The Post, I heard, is really good. And then, um, yeah, Ready Player One, which I it, it is a movie. I'll just say that I don't Spielberg. <laughs> He's elevates, not your problem with it. He, he elevates the, the he elevates the source material. Whether or not that's you know makes it redeemable, I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, um, but uh, yeah, and we'll talk more about Spielberg later. But he's he's made a lot of good movies. He shaped a lot of my childhood. He shaped a lot of how I think about things. So you know he. Jaws is really good, right? And not not to we'll put a pin in that, and we'll we'll put an air tank in it and blow it up. Jaws is a really good movie. I don't see a single problem with it. Uh, it's aged well because the fact that it's on an island it limits communication anyway. Like there's no, and they and they use a lot of radio stuff, so you can't even argue about cell phones being a thing that could change it because a lot of they use radios all yeah. over the place. Can't take the cell phone in the water anyway. I That's mean, true. you technically yeah. can. But. There's a whole sequence that you just see Brody with like just a large pot of rice, just putting his phone in it, being like, oh, <laughs> you know, we need it. We're going to need a bigger pot of rice, you know. Uh, but um, you know, infinitely quotable. 
and just the right actors, right time. And it's just one of those things that a series of tragedies made a masterpiece that shouldn't exist. And because of that, it, it works all the much better. That's, I guess that's what I'd say about Jaws. Yeah. All right. I can't argue that. All right. So enough about Jaws. We're going to now transition into, uh, we're going to talk about a 1977's Orca. Before we do that, um, I'm just going to play you guys some a, a trailer that has some wonderful whale information, a lot of important <laughs> whale info, and then we'll talk about Orca. The ancient Romans called him Orca Orcinus, Latin for bringer of death. He is without challenge the most powerful animal on the globe, the killer whale. Orca has 48 teeth set in two impressive rows. In some respects, the orca's intelligence may be even superior to man's. They remain loyal to one mate for life. As parents, they are exemplary, better than many human beings. And like human beings, they have a profound instinct for vengeance. An innocent creature is destroyed by an act of human cruelty, and the ultimate battle of man against nature begins. Dino De Laurentiis presents Orca. Can you commit a sin against an animal? He followed you. He saw you on the deck of the boat. They always remember the human being who had tried to harm them. He deliberately left you your boat because he wants to fight you on the sea. I won't do that. Now the fish have vanished from the fishing grounds. It's all because of your whale. In fact, I won't fight him at all. You're not even man enough to accept the excitement of his challenge. I'll fight you! You're a vengeful son of a... Orca, starring Richard Harris, Charlotte Rampling, Will Sampson, Keenan Wynn. A spectacular adventure. From the depths of the sea to the top of the world. It's going to be a fair fight on equal terms. A fight to the death. Nolan! Between the two most dangerous animals on Earth. What in hell are you? Man and Orca. Hope you guys pay attention there. There's some important whale facts there. Uh, that hashtag whale facts, hashtag shark facts. So I didn't dissect a whale in high school. That would have been that would have been a, a huge undertaking. Um, like, all right, guys, I guess we're by the tail. I guess I'll see you at the other end of the football field for the head. Anyway, so all right, uh, Orca, 1977, uh, written by Luciano uh, Vinciani. Um, also, where else? Uh, also, there uh, another also story credit written by Sergio Donati and uncredited work by Robert Town. I mentioned these three for a reason. Um, one, uh, uh, Vinziani and Donati, uh, Donati uh, they had worked in various regards on Raw Deal, the Schwarzenegger film. Uh, nice. Duck You Sucker, which is also called A Fistful of Dynamite, or Once Upon a Time in the Revolution, which I watched for the Year of the Western. Um, that was really good. The Mercenary, which I also watched for the Year of the Western. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which I also watched for the Year of the Western for a few dollars more, which I've not seen yet, but I now own. Uh, so they did a lot of a lot of good screenplay work uh, with Westerns and Italian films. And then also Robert Town, 
here is uh here's your connection to last week. You're gonna appreciate this. This guy's right. like he's basically a professional script doctor. He gets a lot of uncredited work on scripts. Uh, he ended up uh, working on Chinatown, uh, and also what was he? Uh, here, this is one thing I'll mention here real quick. <clears throat> Town turned down uh, opportunity to, to direct a film called Personal Best. He also wrote the script for Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, hoping to direct it, but Personal Best was a financial failure, meaning he had to sell the Greystoke script. He grew dissatisfied with the production and, and credited his dog, P.H. Vazic, with the script for Greystoke. Um, Vazic became the first dog nominated for an Oscar for screenwriting. <laughs> was Greystoke nominated? I guess so. I, just, I thought that was good. That, that was, was one of those movies that played on HBO back in the day. Like, was it Christopher it was, Lambert, Tarzan? Yeah, in that? yeah, I haven't seen it in probably 20, 30 years, but it was it was like one of those... <laughs> that and Beastmaster were always on, so um, I have memories of watching Greystoke, but I don't ever remember thinking of it being an Oscar-worthy like, man, film. That dog is a smart dog, you know. Yeah. But you know, some mammals that aren't humans are pretty smart. And they but that dog only had a dog-sized brain. <laughs> like, we'll, to, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh so anyway, Robert Town actually did uh uncredited work on the first two Mission Impossible scripts. Oh so there you go. There's your okay. connection for last week. So he he wrote the uh dove scene and yeah, the He um... was like there has to be two motorcycles dueling uh and then we also have to have oh Tom Cruise has to do a flip kick here a flip kick here. You know, I think Tom Cruise is actually mimicking the Orca uh, from the film in a lot of ways. So I heard he wrote all of Ving Rhames' lines in that movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so directed, uh, this film was directed by Michael Anderson. just want to mention just because he uh, did Logan's Run. Uh, and then also, do you remember that Chris Christopherson film Millennium from 99? I don't. Uh, it is, it's a weird time travel movie. It's, it's actually, it's one of those ones where, again, like, there's parts of it that are like, this is actually not bad. And then you start watching like, this doesn't make a lick of sense. But, uh, but yeah, it was, the yeah. only millennium I can think of is the, uh, the TV series, the TV series yeah. with Lance Henriksen. Yeah. So, and then also he directed 1956's Around the World in 80 Days, which was like, I guess, really celebrated at the time. Anyway, so that's, that's your people that made this. Our cast here real quick is Richard Harris is Captain Nolan. Charlotte Rampling uh, is Rachel Bedford. Will Sampson is Umalak. Uh, Bo Derek, um, and one, uh, you know, she's kind of in the movie as Annie. Keenan Wynn, uh, Novak, he was this uh, haggard older gentleman on the boat at the beginning. That he, uh, Keenan Wynn didn't hang out long in the film. <laughs> He's uh, not. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to mention him because he was in the last episode of the first season of The Twilight Zone. He was the one that had the dictaphone that could uh, create his stories into life. Oh, so, that's yeah. a good episode. I and like it, that one. A, I forget the name of it right now off the top of my head. It's, it's a, a world of his own, I think, yeah. is the name of the episode. And that was a fun one. And Keenan Wynn was really great in that episode. Yeah. So I saw that. I'm like, holy shit, that's Keenan Wynn. So, it's literally like also it's just like two people for almost all of it yeah. just talking. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Robert Carradine is Ken, also someone who was in the movie. He was in it longer, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. Um, the main plot of Orca, the, Steve, I don't know if you... <laughs> <laughs> like start this off it's like the plot is basically man deserves it that's basically <laughs> what it is so, we come yeah. and we like murder uh hopeless whales and then they're like gonna murder us back at for 90 minutes so, is basically the plot the, of this the movie film, the film starts off with um with these two like someone doing like some underwater research and a great white shows up but then uh, off in the distance there's a boat called the Bumpo which we didn't mention the boat and Jaws is called Orca yeah I was really hoping the boat would be called Bruce I was really really hoping <laughs> the boat would be called Bruce in this but the Bumpo sees this great white and they're I don't know they're hunting it or something it's not always quite clear 
But in the process of this, uh, you see this great white and you hear music that's very similar to the John Williams like strings, <laughs> yes. like the distressing strings. But then this killer whale comes out of nowhere and just beats the hell out of the shark and, is, and it just goes away. And it's like, and I like it, the first few bits of the film. It's like, hey, you know, Jaws, this thing can kill Jaws. And then you just, the whale just kind of goes away. Yeah. And then it cuts to, um, this is where I got a little confused at the beginning. Uh, Rachel Bedford, uh, Charlotte Rampling, gorgeous, very, very, very striking woman at the time. Uh, she's giving a lecture yes. in a college classroom of some sort talking about whales. And that's where she talks about the capacity of whale intelligence. And she has a slide up showing various uh, sizes of brains. <laughs> and one's a human brain, one's a... Uh, a whale brain, and there was another. There was. I think uh, there's a dog, maybe a monkey brain. A monkey brain, and there's a dog brain. And she specifically mentions the human, the whale, and the monkey, and then does not mention the dog brain whatsoever. I don't know why that's up there for reference. That if she's not going to talk about <laughs> relative intelligence, but she just basically is like saying laying the groundwork for saying whales um, because of their brain and their capacity for language, like as in the whale song being very very complicated there is the potential that they have intelligence on level with us or maybe even even greater. They um, may actually be speaking with uh, another alien life force. Maybe, um, in, in the future. In the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a Star Trek Four reference for you folks at home. Did you ever see that Far Side cartoon of the, the scientists writing down dolphin talk, like on a chalkboard? <laughs> and the dolphins are like speaking, and the scientists are writing down what they're saying, and they're puzzling over it. And it's basically the dolphins are speaking Spanish and the, the scientists can't figure it out. It's like, it's, it's just really funny because they're breaking down the, the, the dolphin dialogue and it's just like, que pasa? And it's like, they're like, what? I don't understand what's going on. Uh, so yeah, so then, and, and then the story kind of cuts to like her telling the story of dealing with uh, Captain Nolan uh, and what happens. because Yeah, Captain Nolan, he's... Uh... I don't know. He, he there's a lot of problems with his logic, in my opinion. But we'll get there because she was the person that was underwater that was being approached by the shark that was saved by the whale. Yeah. And then so you have that little brief bit, and then it suddenly becomes her telling a story of a flashback. It's it's a weird time jump, but then the whole story then moving forward is her telling this thing. And there's things that happen in this that she couldn't have possibly known, but whatever. Uh, so anyway, um, I, Captain Nolan decides. Oh, I see a pot of whales. That's probably some money there. And basically, he's like, how much do you think they'd, they'd pay me if I caught a whale? And everyone's like, I don't know, maybe a lot of money. He's like, good. And like, he, there's never a dollar value ever added on anything. Yeah. So him, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Novak and Bo Derek and her, you know, her Bo, uh, they go to capture a whale. And, and as they're aiming at this whale pod, they shoot and they miss. Well, they nick the fin of the male and they, they hit the female. And they drag her in, and it's horrific. Like, it is horrific. Yeah. Uh, I would equate this to, like, uh, it's almost like animal torture porn. Like, yeah. Uh, I know it's fake, but, like, it goes on for, like, a really long time. Yeah. And then, because uh, the, the female's under uh, distress, she ejects, uh, she's pregnant, and she ejects, like, um, a, a, not an embryo, but, like, you know, it's it's not a fully formed whale calf, so it looks almost human, because yeah. they talked about that, too, about earlier development of, like, you know, because it's a mammal and blah, 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 and we've all seen the prophecy, so we all know what happens, you know. Anyway, um, I'm not talking about the Christopher Walken film. I'm talking about the <laughs> one from the 70s. Um, Orca the, gave the, birth. The, yeah, to Christopher Walken. Uh, no, uh, 
And so then this thing hits the, the deck, this unborn you know, whale baby. And Captain Nolan's like, get it off here. So they're using a hose just to get it off the deck. And he's unnerved by it. And then there's this reaction shot of however they did it. The male whale is just staring with his mouth open like aghast. A, a <laughs> they do that in a lot of close-up of his eyes. Yeah, and yeah. He's, just, he's just he's just. Like, horrified what, as he should be as he should be and he's just like what is going on now so then um they're like trying to bring this female whale back to uh to shore i don't know to put it in a pen or something and sell it but they realize they've hurt this thing too much and it's probably like they they, they know it's probably going to die yeah. but this thing's hanging on the side of the boat so the male whale it's going to frustrate me uh mr orca whatever you want to call him um <clears throat> You know, uh, Bumpo, that's not his name, but he keeps like circling the boat and basically like, you know, like give me back my yeah. mate, you know, cause they're monogamous. They mate for life. And he also saw his unborn child fall well, off. The the ch- boat. Yeah. Um, so he's attacking the boat and they eventually cut it loose. And that's whenever, uh, Mr. Novak, Keaton Wynn bites it. Like he's out there trying to help, but he gets taken. Like the whale just, just straight up takes him and takes him out. And it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so they let the female whale go and they think it's all, all is forgiven. Right. So then they go back to port. Uh, and then this whale is like, no, I'm going to leave you guys. I'm going to just, I'm going to show you what you did. And it pushes the female all the way to shore and leaves, which I'm on board with the film at this point. That seems like, you know, cause whales can mourn elephants can mourn and, 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 and whales are smart enough to, I believe that it recognizes the boat and the people on it. I, I can believe that. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that point. I'm on board for this film. It's a really silly jumping off point of this. Is like, we can make money, but then they complicate it because they didn't think it through, which is a very human thing to realize. Yeah. So then, you know, Captain Nolan, everyone's like, well, like, did you just like, he's like, oh, that's weird that that whale made at the shore. And then the doctor, uh, Charlotte Rampley's character is like, no, um, he pushed it there. He, he wants you to see what you did. And he's like, oh, well, that's a problem. Like, he just is so dismissive of everything. He's like, oh, oh, well, <laughs> like nothing bad's going to happen now. <laughs> like. Yeah, I don't want to go too far into it, yeah. um, but like, uh, I really don't like Richard Harris's character <laughs> of Captain Nolan, um, and it's one of those things where it, it, this movie is actually like the reverse Jaws because, like, in Jaws, you're at least rooting for the people to, you know, get away from Jaws or destroy the shark. This movie, like, from you know the, the first like ten minutes, I'm like, I hope I see Orca eat all of them, yeah. like. That's all I wanted because I'm like, this guy's a jerk, and you know he just murdered his wife and child right in front of him. You know, uh, <laughs> Orca is, and while I haven't seen the movie, I can't say for for sure, but he's the John Wick of this film. Are <laughs> you saying the Orca is the John Wick of yes. this film? It's, uh, he's taking his revenge. He, it's the Baba Yaga. <laughs> is <laughs> so yeah. So it becomes this thing where you have. Nolan, who clearly didn't think things through, and then you know, to be fair though, they do give him. They, they <laughs> to give, be fair, he's an idiot. No, they do give him like one, like one bit of character backstory that actually kind of is sympathetic, but it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, um, because there's like a brief, like there's a brief flash of something, like a car crash or something, and I'm like, oh, they're gonna show that scene later, and they never go back to it. Yeah, his and then, wife and yeah, he yeah. ends up telling. Uh, Charlotte Rampley's character later that his wife and unborn child were killed by a drunk driver. So you have that parallel of like him knowing uh, someone else like w- without thinking has, has damaged his life and taken away 
important things to him. Which know? is important because I believe Richard Harris was also drunk when he gave that monologue. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, yeah I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, he was just like, and then I drove, I drove the U.S. Indianapolis around, and we see what happened. <laughs> and I dropped my friend Quinn off. Happy hunting. No, uh, so uh, this it becomes this whole thing where. In credit to this movie too, I do like that it's set in like this little tiny bay in Halifax, like mm-hmm. Canada, like New, it's like Newfoundland. Um, it, it has its own kind of unique look to it. I kind of dig that because um, it's definitely like you know like a fishing cove. And as he has his boat there, uh, which was attacked repeatedly by the orca, being repaired, the orca sees it in the bay and was like, "All right, well." guess I'm going to wreck all the other boats around it. <laughs> and it's like, and that was one of those things where I'm like, you know what? I could see, I'm still on board, like plausibly believing that this, this, you know, this mammal was smart enough to see what's going on and to start lashing out. I'm, I'm actually on board with this. The movie's a little clunky, but the cinematography is actually really good for what it is. The score I'm on board for a lot of it's really good. Yeah. The score is uh, really good. There's, there's these repeated, there's a lot of shots of whale pods. That's really nice. There's these repeated like double images of whales flipping, which is weird, but um, it's the 70s. I'm fine with that. And so then the the, the other fishermen are telling Nolan like, "Hey, um, that whale that's out looking for you is taking all our boats and scaring all the fish off. So maybe you should go take care of that whale." And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Like basically, yeah. every single time someone comes to him and saying, "This is your fault," he's like, "Yeah." What are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, <laughs> so then uh, something, what was it? Um, whenever, like whenever he's actually there doing the funeral for uh, Novak, he asked the priest, can a man commit a sin against the animal? And the priest is like, man could commit a sin against a blade of grass. It's really just how the, what the man feels about things. And he's like, Oh, like he's just like, it like, was very much a scene. Like that was not the uh, answer I was, I was expecting. For, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and so it becomes this interesting journey of basically the townsfolk are like, Oh, Hey, by the way, we put your boat a priority to fix it so he can get back out there. It's like, why you need to go take care of that whale. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going back out again. It's like, you need to, he's like, nah, I paid for a month's rent on this house. I think I'm going to stay here for a bit. <laughs> like it becomes this thing of like, and then also uh Bo Derek's character has a broken leg. So she's kind of infirmed. Uh, and like he has his reasons for not wanting to go back out. Rightfully. So he screwed there's up a whale that wants to murder him. And there's points in times where the whale has just shown up and like eyeballed him at distance too, like at nighttime. Like it's so great. So then it, correct me if I'm wrong. And I got to look at my, I should look at my notes here. There is a, this is when the film starts to kind of go off the rails, like in the, but in a fun way, but then the movie also plays it so serious the entire time that at this point it becomes two different movies to me. Yeah, there's not a sense of like levity in the movie at all. No. Um, any levity that's found is unintentional a lot of the time, I think. Yeah, like there, there's like, so the premise that someone screwed up and, and caused this animal to come after him and it won't, le- it won't leave him or the area alone until it, it, it gets what it wants, that's a very interesting way. Like, yeah. like in a lot of aspects, this film reminded me of The Gray a little bit. Uh, because like yet Liam Neeson like Wolf Puncher uh, amongst and his his group of people and they're in this like harsh like you know the tundra winter environment and they're probably not going to live but they're being circled by packs of wolves and the whole thing is just like they're just trying to survive but these wolves now are on th- their scent and their trail and it's like you either got to face them because if you keep running you're gonna get caught type of thing so there's an interesting story in Orca in a weird way but then. So what eventually causes uh, him to go out to start having to finally confront things is the, the whale comes into, into the, har- the harbor. It understands how fuel pipes work. It, <laughs> it, it jumps up, 
knocks the fuel pipes loose, and then bumps up against the building in which the fuel's leaking, knowing that there's a, a lantern with a, lick, a lit wick that topples over, causing this building to catch on fire, that which then causes this chain reaction to have like a refinery or something in the distance blow up. Yeah. And then like, cause at this point, uh, uh Richard Harris is having a, con- a conversation with uh, Charlotte Rampley's character. And they just kind of both look up and see the explosion. And it's not made apparent to either one of them that the whale caused this. Right. But then they look out in the distance and the whale flips once just like, basically it's the whale equivalent of a middle finger. Like, come at me. I did that. And so then, then it comes to the point to where, He's in his house with Bo Derek, like you know, she's uh, her, she's hobbled and whatever, and they're they're about to leave town, but everybody's like, "Nope, you can't leave. You're going on your boat. You're dealing with this whale that you caused, this whale of a problem that you caused." As he's like, kind of still trying to debate this, the whale then starts going up against the the wooden struts underneath his house because it's on the sh- like right on the edge, and it knocks the house down where it's sliding, and Bo Derek is on the other side. And she's like almost falling out of this house and they're trying to save her. And then the whale jumps up and bites her leg off. Yeah. And it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is my favorite sequence in the movie. Um, It's definitely over the top. There's no two ways about that. Um, But also the fact that uh, Bo Derek gets her leg bitten off is just, it's, Yeah, and it's, then Richard Harris goes to the edge. He's like, damn you, you bastard, or whatever. Yeah. And in the distance, you see the whale just flipping a few times. It's just like, F you, F you, <laughs> F you. And it's just like, I don't know why the whale's doing this repeatedly. You know, like, like look at me, I did it. It's like, no, 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 we know you did it, whale. Right. Um, and it, but at this point, now Richard Harris is like, now, now I'm serious. So he it becomes like this mission where it's him, it's 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 her, it's uh, Ken, which we haven't talked about, the Bo Derek's boyfriend. And then um, they bring along um, uh, Will, Will Sampson's character, Umalak, who is a local uh, native. Like he is one of like the what do they call him? Um, the First Nation uh, in Canada. He's like a native. He's a native Canadian. Like not like he's a, of whatever local um, tribe. I don't know how you describe that, but they call him First People. I know right. that they call him. So he's basically just like, hey, you know, you've done bad by this whale. I'll help you, but you need to make amends. So he's like, I like, I don't know how I can assist you, but I'll go out on, and drive the boat or something. So they go and they go try to find the whale and the whale's like, nope, follow me. And it drags them all the way up into like, like um, frozen over icy area. Well, doesn't Charlotte Rampling at one point even tell him like he's leading you where he wants to go, not the other yeah. way around. And so they end up going to this area where Ken's like, we don't have the fuel to come back. And, 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 uh, uh, Richard Harris is like, fine, just radio. People will come get you. He's like, we're going to finish this. It's like, when did you suddenly become Tommy Toughnuts? And all, like, uh, <laughs> like, it, but it's like, you get this feeling he's supposed to be so like heartbroken and sullen now because yeah. everything has been taken away from him because of the, the whale that he hit, but you know, out of greed, you know, and he's like, I'm going to have a showdown with this whale. And it becomes this thing where the whale is aware of where they're at and pushes a large chunk of ice into the boat to cause a collapse to kill our friend Umalak. Yeah. And then the guy who's just like, like been the whole movie, like yeah. trying to just fix things. Well then earlier, um, Ken tries to get the, the mercy raft like off to the side and he's trying to get it free. And then the whale just comes up and eats him. Like, <laughs> like, it's like, cool. All right. I guess he's done now too. Um, so then it becomes this, this big final showdown <laughs> with Richard Harris with the spear, which is, it's kind of badass. Like it's kind of like, forget about how you feel about the character. That's a cool sequence. 
throws the spear. They have this big showdown on the sheet of ice where he's shooting a gun through the ice and not really doing anything. I don't, it's like yeah. this, this whale's hides thick. Like you're, you're going to shoot it in the eye, but you can't seem to hit anything. But the whale's also coming up every so often to break the ice to probably breathe. Cause that's something they mentioned too, because he's at a disadvantage cause he has to come up for air, you know? Uh, but it comes this big showdown of Richard Harris versus the orca. And, um, the ending of the movie, I didn't see this coming. Like I was like, wow, uh, yeah, it it uh, it killed him. Like, that's it. Yeah, Richard, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's all I was waiting for the entire movie was <laughs> for the whale to kill him. Um, yeah, and I didn't I didn't catch this until I read it, but apparently the whale dies as well. Yeah, I guess it just goes under the ice sheet and then it, it just goes off to die, which yeah. isn't really made. It's not made apparent. clear. Yeah, yeah, and so then you know he's dead, and Charlotte Rampley's character is now being saved and rescued, so she could tell the tale of the whale, the whale tale. I don't know. If I lived uh, till the yeah, and. Uh, and then there's like a song at the end, right? Yes. But let me just say that I wish this movie would have picked which one it wanted to be. Uh, if it was ridiculous, super smart whale doing all the, like this horrible things, ransacking this harbor, I'm down. If it's this thing is smart enough and knows it, it wants to be one on one with the thing that took away its life, I'm down. But it, it like so there's moments of orca that work really 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 well for me that I like a lot, mm-hmm. and then there's other times where it's so ridiculous I'm laughing and it works really well and I like it a lot, but I can't say I like. It's just like there's parts that they don't work together. Yeah. But overall, for a movie I was not expecting anything out of, I was genuinely surprised at how much of it worked for me. Yeah, I mean there's some really cool stuff in it. I just. I guess going into it, I was hoping for more of Jaws versus. Um, I, I was expecting the orca to just be a problem on its own, as opposed to like. And I, I understand, like it, it. It certainly makes sense that they would be like, we need to, you know, give their uh, a reason for why this orca is so bloodthirsty, um, but like. It immediately puts me off where I'm like, I don't, I want Orca to win, you know, like 20 minutes in. I'm like, come on, Orca, I got money riding on you. Um, So it takes a little bit of the fun out of it because I'm just like, just eat Richard Harris already. Like, I I wanted him to have a spectacular death, and I don't really feel like he did. No, he didn't. He didn't. And that, I, 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 for the more dramatic portion of the film, I think it actually works pretty well. Yeah. But for the ridiculous portion of the film, I no. Want, I wanted like a Robert Shaw being ripped in half. Yeah. Like, I wanted know. him diving headfirst into the whale's mouth with the harpoon or something. Like, yeah. You know, like, like, uh, Kind of like um, uh, Rick Moranis and Little Shop of Horrors. Like, you know what? I, we're gonna we're gonna just do it this way. <laughs> What's gonna happen? No, no, that was uh, Jack Nicholson in the original Little Shop of Horrors. He went in with an axe and yeah. went to the mouth of the Audrey too. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I was getting my movies mixed up. But yeah, just like like Drax and Guardians too. It's like I'm. Oh, it's impervious for the outside. I guess I'm gonna jump inside it. Like I wanted that, and it, it, but it didn't. The whole when the movie shifted to the icy landscape and be, and, and slowed down like intentionally. As much as that kind of put the, the halt of the momentum of the film, it's something about it was different enough from Jaws that I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm actually yeah. kind of interested to see how this film wraps up because for a movie that solely exists, and I have my notes here, uh, producer Dino De Laurentiis, you know, uh, the one who produced Conan the Barbarian, which we talked yes. about previously, that spawned Ator the Fighting Eagle. Um, he, um, he was... Uh, 
call, he called um, Luciano uh, Vincerani, Vince Vinsoni. Uh, I apologize. Uh, he's like uh, he was called in the middle of the night by uh, De Laurenta saying, um, you know, he was instructed to find a fish tougher and more terrible than the great white shark. <laughs> like, so basically he watched Jaws and was like, we need to do something different and bigger and meaner. Yeah. And th- th- this movie exists just because Jaws exists. That's, that's, that's really why this exists. But the movie itself is very different in tone and an execution than Jaws. Yeah. And I guess I should give it credit for doing that because I because I just I wanted a, a flat out Jaws rip off in the sense of like I wanted, you know, Orca to be just a menacing awful thing as opposed to it's a little Moby Dickish in that it's uh, pursuing him and what, what they call the film Moby Dickish, <laughs> but like it, it's more of a revenge story told from the whale's perspective, which it is really an interesting is. idea. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but like I was going into it, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to see like you know Jaws, but with a with with a whale, like <laughs> you know. So I my expectations were. Uh, much different than the film that we got and that's not necessarily a bad thing um but again i was just i was caught off guard is the best way of putting it no and i i think that's actually a fair way to say it uh so i i i liked this film i i i wish that if the the flashes of intelligence that the whale has is either borderline awesome or just ridiculous, which is unfortunate. Like I get that it would recognize him and imprint on him in the sense of like, you took this away from me. I'm going to cause problems for you. I don't think the whale would know where he lived unless he saw where he lived. I don't think the whale would know to attack the other boats. Um, but I could see like, it's almost like, um, you know, like the neighbor's dog that if you, if it senses that you're, you're scared of it, anytime you go check out the mail, it's going to be at the fence looking at you, you know, like that's kind of the, the threat level I wonder where it's like, you're trying to make your livelihood on your boat and you can't even leave the Harbor because this thing's waiting for you, you know, like that would be more plausible to me, but then it understood how fuel lines work. It understands how fire works. (laughs) It understands how to move ice around. Like it was like, there was a lot there that I'm like, I don't think like if they did like deep blue sea, but with like whales where it's like, we just made really intelligent killer whales. It's like, Oh, and we gave them thumbs like watch out. Like, you know, they should have gone more Terminator with it. Like Orca should have come back in time. (laughs) What what if one of those whales from uh, the voyage home is the Orca from Orca? Like they went back and saved it. Well, no, they went, they went back to 77 to take it to 84. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I just, I don't know this movie. It, 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 it's better. It's better than it has any right being, in my opinion. Like I feel like I was surprised at the quality of it. Maybe, maybe it's because of shocking dark. I feel like the bar was set so low for me that to find something that's like confidently made and like there's some really cool shots in it. The cinematography, like the locations are nice. Like I think the acting's actually relatively okay. Richard Harris, take or leave his character. I think he did it well. Um, Charlotte Rampling's great in it too. Um, I just. It, there just some some tweaking from a story standing story standpoint, and this film could not stand beside Jaws, but it would be a, a really good like honorable runner up. I feel like in the sense of the character motivation and just the film. 
I mean, I don't know what is an what is an honorable run, runner up. Like, I, I don't think there's anything that even comes close to Jaws, though. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's true. I mean, you I know? guess uh, uh, Spielberg said Piranha was his favorite of the ripoffs. So, and you mentioned watching one and watch Piranha. I'm like, that's not really close. I think it's funny <laughs> that Spielberg liked that one best. I don't know. I just I feel like this one, it it exists because of something that was way more successful, but it didn't have to stick to point for point why that one was successful. And I kind of respect that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all the things that you just said are absolutely true. I wish that it either had given itself a little bit more. I don't know if I want to say levity or I don't need jokes all the time. But there, there was a release to the tension by having not even so much funny moments in Jaws, but like there are moments of like characters being able to. Um, be themselves or, you know, like have off moments that aren't all consumed by the shark. Whereas with this, it's it's nothing but, you know, tension, tension, tension. And then it's complicated by the fact that, like, Richard Harris's character either won't accept, you know, that he's essentially the cause. Um, and I, I just, I still don't understand. I guess I never got on board with his logic at the beginning. Of no, like, I mean, you, you find out later that let's he catch was, her that whale by like harpooning it. <laughs> you find out later that he was um, basically willed the boat by a family member, but in the boat's mortgage, so he is now the one in charge of making payments on it. And he thought getting the whale would be the quick cash to pay off the boat and then go back to Ireland. That was his whole goal, yeah. right? And so I can't disagree with him trying to find the easy out, but it's like I'm pretty sure there's probably much safer ways to make money as opposed to just hoping that you shoot the right whale and drag it to shore. And then where are you going to sell it? Like you're going to put out like a one ad in the paper, like, Hey, anybody looking for a whale? Like, what do you, what do you, where are you going to go with that? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, you know, so I just, he's essentially Jordy Verrill from uh creep <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah. Whale where, shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a whale and he thinks somebody's going to pay him a lot of money for it. So I just want to mention this too. So on the way way home tonight, I stopped to get uh, to get food because I knew we were going to be you know talking for a while, and I was hungry. And I went to McDonald's and I was listening to the score to this film, which I haven't talked about this yet. It, the, the the main the, the score is done by Ennio Morricone, who you know the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is that's you know recognizable. But he also did the score for the thing. He did a lot of that score was used in the Hateful Eight. Like Morricone is amazing to me, and the more films I watch with the scores the more scores I find to love. And aside from the, the really aggressive strings in this film, which are directly aping jaws, his, his main themes that he has in this. And then the segments of just the vocalization of the woman are amazing. It's actually a really good score. Mm-hmm. Um, the end with the song, I don't know about that, but cause there's this weird song at the end of this film. I just, whatever it is, what it is, which I apparently did not listen to. So yeah. I need to go back and, um, and it's okay. It's credits. just, it's just, it is, it's, the, it's what it is, but the score, this is actually surprisingly good. So I was listening to the score on the way home, trying to get in the mindset of this. And I stopped at McDonald's and while that was happening, I ordered a filet of fish meal. So I don't know if, <laughs> if I learned a lesson from Orca or it just made me really hungry for filet of fish, which Orca that's a mammal. So I don't, think whale meat tastes the same as whatever's in a filet of fish but i feel like i still created like an injustice against nature while listening to the orca soundtrack <laughs> being like you know what i could go for a fish sandwich right now that sounds good to me um yeah i just 
I like this movie. I just wish that, like, in the dark ending, I think the dark ending's pretty cool. I like. I was not expecting that. Like, yeah, and I guess we were remiss to say that Charlotte Rampling he does let her live for whatever reason. Yeah, and and then like you know, and the, there's a helicopter that comes to get her. So you know, and plus she's telling the story of what happened. So you know, she lives. The, um, the whale is like, you study whales and you're cool. You know how smart I am. So. <laughs> You and I were pals. And, and then he's like, I guess I'll go off to die now and not tell anybody. Except um, it would have been better had he been just like, remember when I said I'd let you live? <laughs> yeah. I lied. I lied. Um, so, all right. Uh, uh, wrapping up here, uh, because I could go on forever talking about Orca. I think it's it's a movie that were worth watching. I feel like even though we kind of spoiled some of the plot points, it does not set you up for the ridiculousness of the random whale stuff. It's worth it for Orca essentially eating a house. Yes. I mean, it's a house boat. Or I mean, it's a, it's a, a house on the water. Yeah, but it's stilts. still Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's still him eating a house. So to answer the questions that we normally ask with this, on a scale of 1 to 10, how close did it adhere to the film of Wanda Knockoff? Um, other than it's a, a fish that's killing people, uh, and eventually the stakes get personal, uh, I, there's not a lot here other than the directly showing the whale killing or scaring off a, a great white at the beginning and some of the strings. I don't really feel there's a lot in common here. Yeah. I did love the fact that it started with a shark and tried to ape the opening. Yes. Uh, and then was like, screw you. Here's a whale. Yeah. So um, I, I'll give it a three because I don't think it was, I don't think it wanted to be a jaw. I, I think it wanted to be better than jaws is really. Yeah. I, feel like, yeah. I, I do feel like they were trying to shoot, uh, far above their target, um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a three as well. That okay. that, that feels right. Right. Uh, on the Ator scale, meaning, uh, did we like this film more or less than Ator? Because that was our first. That was our litmus. That's the very first film we watched here in the knockoff. Was it better or the worse? Better or worse than Ator? I don't know. I I feel it's a better movie than Ator. It's certainly better <laughs> made than Ator. But I, I, I still had so much fun with the Ator that it's hard for me to say that. Uh, if yeah. I'm, I'm talking about technically, yes, it's it's a better movie than Ator. Is it more fun to watch? No. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I, I think I enjoyed this film a great deal, and I think overall as a film it's better than Ator. But I think Ator, I could still go back and watch and just have a hoot with it. You yeah. Know? And then I could watch a greatest hits of Orca just attacking things. It would be great too. Um, would you recommend this film to anyone else? Yeah, I would. Like if if somebody was like I'm looking for to scratch that itch and I'm looking for something that's in the jaws wheelhouse, I would recommend it. Yeah, I would too. I like that for Shark Week we covered a killer whale movie by the way. But whatever, it's fine. Um <laughs> I recommend it. Like and this is one of those ones that like no pun intended if you want to dip your toe and to something a little strange, like some people don't want to get to dive deep into the the weird movie pool that sometimes you and I like. Yeah, I feel like this is a good, like you know, hey, see how you feel about this. If you think that some of the oddball stuff of this you're kind of on board for, we have so much more delights to show you. Yeah, I feel like if you can get past the horrific uh, beginning with the female whale and ejecting the 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 baby. Yeah, that is the the worst part of the film. If you can get past that, then you're on board. Like so, I, yeah, I'd recommend it absolutely. So yeah, um, yeah, that's all I got for uh, for Orca, the killer whale. Um, fun. I'm glad that we watched this. I'm glad you picked. We had a couple of different options to watch, and but you said we you know we watched this, so I'm glad we watched it. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for for us talking about Orca. Um, Let's yeah. Let's just get let's do the housekeeping stuff here real quick. You can find us on uh, Facebook Invasion of the Podcast. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, uh, 
Podbean, wherever podcasts are. Find us, rate us, review us. It'd be great. Uh, we're on invasionofthepodcast.com where I have a blog where I've been writing about some knockoffs. I recently finished my uh, struggle with uh, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. I feel like I should have never put that out there that I own that because like, I feel like it... it... It became your bane for a while. Well, just, just because I was like, I mentioned in the blog, I wrote like three quarters of it and then I lost it. And I'm like, I have to write about this again. Like <laughs> it just became a thing. It wasn't because the movie, like the movie's not great, but there's some, there's some worth talking about it. So check out my thoughts on that. That's another film that was directly trying to follow the success of star Wars, but did its own thing. Like that's all I can say about that. Um, yeah. And then Steve, how can people find you? Uh, check me out at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter under the Saturday Slasher. Although I think uh, I think Instagram, it's actually the Saturday Night Slasher. For whatever reason, the Twitter shortened it to the Saturday Slasher. So uh, look for me in those areas. We also are on Facebook. Um, Going to be at the Scarefrust. I believe it's uh, the weekend of September 14th. Uh, that's in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and I'll talk more about that as we get closer to that show. Cool. All right, so next week, um, I'm going to take a look at The Dark Knight. Uh, the, it's 10th anniversary of the film. It just came 10th anniversary like two weeks ago or something like that. Yeah. We're going to watch uh, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, the second film in the Dark Knight uh, series, um, and kind of look at that again, see how well it's aged, and talk about how it's affected comic book movies going forward. So that'll be a lot of fun. And I know Steve doesn't really know anything about Batman, so this will be his first time looking into it. It'll be a tough one for me to get through. <laughs> Paul's going to have to carry that show. So, yeah. Uh, in the meantime, have a safe week. Um, and, I don't know, don't go trying to capture whales for fun and profit, because it could come back to haunt you. Yes. And if you're going to, uh, you know, murder whales, just own up to it. <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you guys next week. <laughs>